Here in Israel, we are at war. Everyone I know is grabbing on to anchors to stay afloat. For some, it's chocolate. For others, Facebook, perhaps a work routine, yoga, whatever works. Today, I brought some items to the seamstress, and when I handed them over to her, I said, this is not important. Who cares about a throw pillow missing a button? But this is my version of maintaining sanity. Another one of myself is this podcast, preparing and having stimulating adult contact with wonderful and insightful people. Late at night when I'm up and can't sleep, I think of the conversations I might want to bring to all of our listeners. I do not know if this episode will kick off a sub-series that I've been thinking about creating for over a year to speak with powerful and creative Jewish women outside the world of formal teaching and scholarship, kind of like Jewish Wonder Women. But for now, I bring you a pretty spiritual conversation with the creator of innovative Jewish content. We touch upon her work, the creative process, and the goodness that is sometimes created during the narrowest moments of our lives. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Welcome back to Matan's podcast. Today is a different sort of episode. I've taken some time to sit down with someone who I think is enriching Jewish life in one of the most innovative and creative ways, and I wanted to shine a light on her work in whatever way I can. What pushed me to ask her to sit down and speak this week, this is being recorded on October 25th, which I feel I just have to say every time we record a podcast when I'm speaking, because I never know what the next day will bring, is that when the war began here in Israel, she began a really moving effort to bring her materials to a Hebrew-speaking audience, and I was moved by the immediacy of her efforts and the authentic connection to Israel her work exudes. Uh, That was simply the tipping point for me, but her work has caught my eye for a very long time. So, Sari Kapitnikov of That Jewish Moment, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for your beautiful intro. Uh, for anyone who's able to look at Sari's website while we're speaking, if you're not familiar with her work, this conversation will really come to life for you if you do that. So you can check out her website of the same name, uh, That Jewish Moment. So much of her talent is in the graphics, which I'm sure we'll get into in a moment. And so seeing her work firsthand is really a must to understanding our conversation. So it, it's really great to have you here. I guess on a most basic level, I'd love for you to tell the, our audience what it is that you do. Uh, you had sort of a little bit of a journey there from being in education in the classroom to now doing things that are so educational but in a very different kind of way and utilizing social media and, and lots of the amazing tools at our disposal today. So why don't you tell our audience a little bit about what you do? Thank you. I feel like I've, I've been a kid since I was a kid. And now as an adult kid, um, what I love to do is create playful Jewish edutaining. You know, the, I don't know if you're familiar with the yep. word edutaining. Yep, yep. It's like combining educational with entertaining um, because my, my favorite content for kids is when it's so much fun or it's so engaging that the kids don't realize they're learning necessarily. Um, so I was a classroom teacher for about 10 years. It was a very special place. I learned so much in the classroom and the whole time I also felt this pull. I actually, I'm a big podcast listener and I used to listen to, I don't know if you're familiar with the podcast, How I Built This with Guy Raz. He talks to different founders of these huge companies and organizations about how they started. And I would pull into the parking lot of the school a few minutes early. I like to be early. And I would like, my eyes would just be welling up with tears. I I couldn't really explain why I felt pulled, but I kind of knew I wanted to do something maybe a little bit bigger than 
beyond the four walls of the classroom. Um, and I have the utmost respect for teachers who are in the classroom. We need teachers so badly. We need really, really good teachers. Personally, as someone who is a creative and who likes to create and share, I knew that I wanted to do something um, that I could share beyond, you know, just with my own students. And I had so many different excuses. I think we all have excuses. Um, there were so many reasons why I wasn't starting yet. I don't want to put myself out there. I'm not good enough. I actually studied art at FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology. And when you go to a place with such talented people, you realize, wow, I am so humbled. I am nobody. And I let that be an excuse. My art isn't good enough. I'm not creating things that you would find in a museum and that kind of thing. And then I realized, I guess, during the beginning of the pandemic, when I saw on social media, a lot of people were struggling with finding educational materials to keep their kids busy while they were trying to work. And I thought of the phrase, Imlo Achshav Ematai. Sometimes we have to realize that our resistance and our excuses are coming from ourselves, whatever that means. For me, I realized that it was time for me to perhaps step up and see what I can do. And good, uh, my stuff will never be good enough if we're comparing to perfection. But something that Rav Noach Orlowick taught me um, that has really stuck with me. He says, a compass points to the North Pole. It points north. Nobody, when they're traveling, is heading towards the North Pole because perfection is a direction more than a destination. Mm -hmm. So I had to let go a little bit of that want and desire for perfection and just make what I can and hope that that will be good enough. That's the lesson in and of itself that we can all take away from that. I think that so many of us have these like pulls or these things that we want to do, whether they're really tiny of things we want to make in our house or decorate and, or they're really big things that we want to impact, <laughs> impact the world. Right. And I will say that I think statistically women suffer much more from, uh, from imposter sort of syndrome or a fear of like, I, I can't do it as well. I think there's a lot of interesting reasons for that. But so it's always amazing to be able to see people who, yeah, who put themselves out there. It's, it's really something that's, that's very moving. And I guess also, you know, so you mentioned some activities that you sort of can provide. Sometimes there are mazes or different, even just principal coloring pages that are Jewish themed. And and so tell us a little bit more about some of the because you know you you've you've branched out over these few years have been doing this so tell us a little bit about the different areas of creating that you do right so most of what I make actually is inspired by some request from someone out there at this point a lot of people in my network have a good sense of the kinds of things that I make or do and people will say oh I'm wondering if you could make some kind of feel good activity that's about Israel, that's good for ages, this and this, and then that will kind of plant a seed and I'll go from there. Sometimes people will say, do you ever make a, have you ever made a blah, blah, blah? And I'll say, not yet. And I love new requests. I love new challenges. Sometimes that's when the, the best work can come out when we're, you know, given these limited uh, structures or questions. And so I, I really never know what's next. I really try asking. So I have a WhatsApp group of parents and, and caregivers in Israel. And I keep asking, what else can be helpful? What else do you want? And I've been doing these puppet shows, really short, like 30-second snippets of me and my orangutan friends named Ori. And we get a lot of private messages, sometimes voice notes from kids asking questions or Ori, what do I do when I'm feeling scared? And 
and that will often inspire the next video that we put out. Okay, and those are videos that you can see on, they're on TikTok, right? They're on Instagram. That's where they could. So these these actually I've been um, sharing just with the private group. I'm happy to add anyone who contacts me via email. I haven't been posting the link um, in public places, understandably, but um, I'm happy to add anyone. Sometimes I'll share one that I feel is, uh, applicable to a broad audience, then I'll share those on TikTok or Instagram or LinkedIn. Um, but otherwise, I'm sharing just to the group, the WhatsApp okay. group. Okay. And, you know, a few years ago, I was exposed to your work because I was charged in, also it was during Corona season. So I think it was the first year that you were sort of active. And I ended up flying by myself to the States and I was charged with running a very, very large, diverse family Seder. And a friend of mine who is a relative of yours, as you know, said, oh, my sister-in-law has some really great materials. And that, that was the first time that I, I saw your, your things and we used, and it was phenomenal. I mean, it was just a ridiculous hit with, uh, with a really diverse audience of all different backgrounds, education, religious levels. And, and, and we, that those were used, those were games that, that we used, uh, which are also phenomenal. And you also, print them i want to go back to the part about fit and creativity what it, it, again i'm far from an expert on all things you know uh art, art mediums but what what are the mediums that you're using sometimes it looks to me like it's things that you've you've penciled or you've you, i don't even know what to call it and then they oh, tell me what are your materials meaning other than the videos you're making what do you do so i'm holding up right now to show you um but it, my apple pencil which goes with my ipad and that's basically where i make everything Wow. Um, so I feel like I'm hand drawing, but you know, I was the kind of kid in class who used to doodle on the sides of her notebook and on all little papers and scraps of paper. And then as a classroom teacher, I let my students doodle if it didn't detract from their ability to learn, focus, etc. because some students really do well with that. And I feel like I'm still hand drawing, but with the ability to double tap. I mean, you know, kind of a two finger tap will undo or I can zoom in or change colors. And it, it, it's such a powerful tool to be able to hand draw uh, in a digital way. And so most things I'm making on my iPad, I also use Adobe Photoshop, Adobe Illustrator, InDesign. The funny thing is when I'm actually do doodling on a pen with a pen and paper, sometimes I'll double tap and realize <laughs> you can't do that. Like, <laughs> doesn't work in the real world. Yeah, so I just want to explain that even more to all the folk out there who are like me and know nothing about art, which is that you look at all of Sari's materials and they they look they look like she drew you a picture, okay? But a really professional one, okay? She drew you a picture. And so it has this incredibly personal touch to it. It doesn't feel like the... Because most of what we see is, is highly digitalized and yours is this really great combination of being something that you really feel like came from your heart. Really, that's what you feel like when you use it. And, 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 and also it being able to be replicable and, and and able to be used in all, all different forms. So and and that that's your main that's your main uh, art medium, right? Is that is that drawing? Yes, definitely. And and so you also have these books that you've that you've put out. So I, I want I want our artists to hear a little bit about that. Um, tell us about some of the topics. I mean, I know the Tefillah book, but there are a whole bunch of others. And how did you come? How did you go from? sort of making activity-based uh, things. We'll get to the escape rooms in a minute, but activity-based uh, ideas to then going towards like a, a book, which you can buy on Amazon. How, how did that happen? Right. I guess, well, each book has it, its own story. Um, my Davening Diary, I think, is the one you're referring to. That one was my first year of teaching ever. I was assigned um, being the tefillah instructor for a bunch of middle schoolers, and it was very overwhelming as a first year teacher, how to 
get everyone dominating, let alone how to get everyone quiet and to create that respectful atmosphere. And something that I started was I got these little blank notebooks from a dollar store and started asking questions at the beginning. And that became my davening diary. And I had this thought of one day turning it into something bigger and publishing it. And I'm part of this Facebook group of Jewish educators across the world, all different denominations. And I put out this question of what would you want to put, what would you want to have in a davening diary? And all these creative questions came in and prompts. And that is the story behind my davening diary. And each book has its own story. Um, I just started doing kind of like a book tour with my joke book called Only Kidding. And it felt strange. I went the other day, drove two and a half hours away to a Hebrew school and presented about how to write Jewish jokes. And I am kind of, you know, along with m much of Klal Yisrael, I'm feeling that heaviness. And so one of my thoughts was, how could I teach joke writing at a time like this? And then I realized that was my voice of resistance because Jewish humor has been with us for years and years and years. And it, it is one of the keys to our survival. It is such an important coping strategy. And I realized I'm going to teach kids how to write jokes, how to laugh at things, how to appreciate the humor in any situation. So that perspective shift kind of gave me a renewed sense of purpose. But I think joking and being playful is appropriate in many occasions. I mean, sometimes um, I give a class to teachers on how to be more creative in the classroom. And I say games are a great way to learn. Sometimes it might not be appropriate. Sometimes instead you'll, you should do an activity, let's say, instead of a game. But for the most part, kids love to play. And so do adults, by the way. And if we can try to think of a way to gamify it, even in my family, I'll come home after, you know, my husband and I at dinner, sometimes we'll play two truths and a lie about our day. It's a fun way to learn about what happened and in a low stakes, enjoyable way. I, I, this is sort of a, a separate kind of avenue of questioning, but I'm just curious, you know, so many of us, as we get older, we, we, you said adults like to play, which is true, but we often lose our appreciation for it or the seriousness of life or the way that school normally runs, maybe not in your classroom, but the way that school normally runs kind of a little bit stamps it out of us. I'm curious, obviously it's a personality element, but I'm curious how that's, how that's something that you preserved throughout all this time. I'm just curious. I'm talking to you now. You seem like a serious gal, but obviously I know you have another side because I've, I've seen you. <laughs> right. That's right. Um, I don't know. I want, I have the question, the opposite question. How do people lose it? It's so much fun to play and to use your imagination. I say at no offense to my actual best friend from childhood, that my imagination was my best friend. <laughs> and just to be able to, imagine things and dream things and, and play. I, I really, I say that I feel like a 10-year-old at heart. And there's so much we can learn from watching kids play and seeing how they play. I spent a lot of time babysitting when I was a preteen. And the parents would say, thank you so much for playing. She said when you played house with her, it was so great. She loved it. And the parents didn't know, really, I, I loved it. I think we're never too old. Is that, is that what I want to say? We're never too old or we're never too young. We're never too old. To stop playing pretend. Yeah, you got that. And okay, um, I use pretend all the time. No, it's I, amazing. When I'm emptying, yeah. we were just the opposite children. I was a child we're, who was an adult, so I, I had the opposite experience. <laughs> but I, 
we, we, we need you. We, we need you also. No, I, I, I turn, I turn to those people and say, teach me how to adult because I have not yet figured out a lot of the adulting <laughs> things in life that just hasn't happened yet. I think your version is more fun. Okay. So wait, so we have your, your davening, your tefillah diary. So just get, throw out some names of some of the other book, book length, uh, programs you have. So my other tefillah one is called sometimes when I mm-hmm. pray. This one is, it's a picture book. It's about the honest experience of prayer that for all of us, kids and adults, sometimes I pray for small things and sometimes I pray for the really big things. Or sometimes when I pray, I space out and my mind wanders to interesting places. And sometimes when I pray, I pay careful attention to the words I'm saying. This book came because sometimes kids will think we as the adults have have it. We have it figured out. But tefillah is... It's a challenge for all of us. It's part of being human is that struggle. And sometimes it's easy for us to feel connected to God, to Hashem. And sometimes it's more of a struggle and that's okay. And my most recent publication was It's Okay to Be Scared, which was probably one of my fastest projects. (laughs) No, really. How how long did it take you? Because that was out very quickly. It took a, maybe three days. The longer part was actually translating it to Hebrew. Yeah. I, I got an appreciation for the, the art of translation. I had I shared it with a bunch of different people, and each person had their take. Or maybe you should change this word or this word. You you um, wrote the Hebrew. An you did the Hebrew. Said, I did. I no, didn't do the Hebrew. Yeah. <laughs> like I definitely needed other people, but because my Hebrew is not as good as it should be, I never knew if it was good. I, I kind of had to rely on other people, which is, I guess, why for a while I haven't been doing the Hebrew thing. I'm a little bit of a one-woman thing. And, and, and also playfulness Playfulness is a very, um, is a very culturally uh, contextual thing. And so it's a person has to be highly, highly skilled to be able to know how to translate your humor and your playfulness into another language. It's it's really very different. Mm. Uh, that that's why I was very impressed, by well the way, said. because the Hebrew was excellent. I I, I am bilingual, so yes. I <laughs> that's why it caught my eye. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm curious. I actually want to go back to some the edu- some educational piece because I'm going to say something. I hope it doesn't sound. I don't mean it to sound judgmental, but when I received education growing up in the States, um, we never spoke about our feelings. Um, certainly we didn't speak about our feelings in a Jewish religious context. Now that is strikingly different in Israel. Um, again, I'm making a very big generalization. I, I teach Israelis, meaning other than the podcast, I teach in Hebrew and the language here and the religious, again, this doesn't mean that everybody has it, but the religious language that surrounds your inner life and the way it interacts with the relationship with God is extremely present if you only look a little bit for it. And and what also strikes me about your work is that there is something you're really trying to cultivate, again, in kids, maybe different audiences, but you're cultivating a very honest, I'm trying to stay away from the word, away from the word authentic because it can bug me sometimes that you're cultivating a very honest, uh-huh. a very honest personal relationship with God and a language that I, I just never, I never met in my education. It could be that education looks very different now, nowadays. Um, you know, mm. but 
I'm curious, do you feel that you're doing something different or you feel that, no, you know, Yosef, I think that it does exist and maybe you just didn't meet it. I'm, I'm not just speaking about my personal experience. I've met a lot of people, right, who who grew up in the religious world in the States and, and we just really didn't have that kind of, you know, even the question of how do you feel when you're davening, right? It was more top down and the whole world today is, you know, there's more of, of a contribution and people speaking their, their mind and their feelings. And so I'm just curious, I'm curious how, you, if, if that's something that you've thought about, is it, are you intentionally trying to sort of make people's religious language richer and more personal or is that just is sort of indirectly what's happening through your work? I love that question. I would say I, I don't realize it's unusual except for moments when people ask questions like this, but I also do see a shift in even just the creators that I follow on, let's say Instagram, I see there's a, a, a big move towards being open about our feelings. I see that from, let's say the therapists and other educators out there. And I hope that it's translating into the classroom, but something, one of the reasons teaching is such a special profession is that you're really putting yourself out there you and your emotions and your personality it's very vulnerable but sometimes being transparent and being open is what helps kids relate to you more look up to you more i always found with my own students it helped when i would say i'm struggling with davening today if if we could you know please be a little extra quiet in this room i'm really trying to connect during mincha today and when I would share things about my own relationship with God, I found that the students received it very, very well. Yeah, and I, again, I think that part of what your work is doing is asking them to do the same. But you're not just asking it, you're, you're, you're guiding them to do that in a creative way. And again, in a way that I would say, let's say, right? Unfortunately, it was not anywhere part of my education. I, I found it in other places, but I think that, you're sort of enabling them to speak out uh, like their honest connections with God and, and cultivate it. And I think that I would love to think that you're you're not the only one doing that. I'm sure the world is very different today. We're in a world where expressing your feelings, we realize doesn't have to just happen in a therapist's office. So I'm certainly hoping that it, that it happens right. in the classroom. And I'm sure that there are schools that are have incorporated more more or less. I'm curious also, so you also have escape rooms, right? If I remember correctly, you had those. Yeah. Yes. And so what what settings, other than, you know, me, a mother and, and her children, uh, parents and children, what settings are using your activities right now? Most of, the, most of my games are used in, let's say, supplemental schools, day schools, um, youth groups, but often also families. I have this one woman out there. She says she's in her 60s. She and her friends like to get together, print out my games, and play. She requests the facilitator-free version. So what I do is I take out all the spoilers at the end and the guide, and I send her just the clues, and she can email me if she gets stuck. But it's, have you ever been to an actual Escape the Room game? They are so much fun. Not right. yet. Um, it is, it's really, really fun to try to piece together the clues and solve the puzzles to figure it out. The one, it's funny, I have something called Escape the Sukkah, which is for, to play on Sukkot. But then, like, I have a little note, like, afterwards, go back in the Sukkah. We're not trying to escape the Sukkah, just for the fun of it, and then go back in. Maybe sort of as we, as we wind down our conversation. So, I mean, you said that your, your projects are really uh, steered by the requests that you get. But I'm curious if you do have, 
have some other things sort of up your sleeve or even even the dreams that you're not yet actually going to actualize? I'm curious if what, what those might be. I once put out a video that said, attention, if I, if I ever tell you I'm not working on something, ask me if I'm okay. <laughs> I always have projects going on in the background. Some of them might never materialize. There's a book I started when I was young. I think it's like 65 pages. It's a sci-fi book about a girl on a different planet. I don't know if I'll ever finish it, but I, I think it's so good to be involved in projects, creative projects, even if you don't do anything with it, but just to use the other parts of your mind that you don't necessarily get to use on a daily basis. Are you the kind of person who like wakes up with an idea or you go to sleep and dream about an idea? Like from a creative process, wh- where do some of those juices flow for you? Yes. Um, I need to have a notebook next to my bed. Mm. I envision it like a little, I don't even know what, like a bowl yeah. that sometimes in the night I have to kind of like spill my little thoughts in so that I don't lose them into my mattress. Um, sometimes a dream. It's it's hard sometimes when I, I, I kind of wish I worked a little differently, but my thoughts and creativity often come very last minute. So I wish I was able to be in Hanukkah mode right now and start thinking about that. But unless I feel it in the air and the trees have lost their leaves and it's there's that chill, I'm not able to, you know, start thinking of the next Chag until, unless I have a deadline. Like sometimes someone will reach out and say, I need something for my Seder. I need it to be available by this time if they give me a deadline. Mm-hmm. And I've tried that old technique of give yourself a deadline, but... I get that. I, I also work. respond I well right to it. external <laughs> pressure. And also, you know, you're creating Jewish experience activities. And what you're saying is, I need to be in the experience. You know, you're not, you need to be inspired by the actual, the actual experience. I totally get that. Uh, I guess, I guess as a last question, I'm curious, you know, you talk about other Jewish creatives, and I don't know if they'll be Jewish, but I'm curious who are people, who, who, who what work inspires you? Look up the guy named Brad Montague. Ooh, uh, I think he's brilliant. Okay. What is, Brad Mont- Montague. Um, you, you might have seen Kid President maybe like 10 years ago, this young kid who had his own Oval Office and would give these pep talks. But um, him and also Andy J. Pizza, for other creatives listening, Pizza's not his last name, but it's what he goes by. He has a really, really good podcast called the Creative Pep Talk Podcast in which he helps you break through the resistance in your minds and Also, you know, he's practical sometimes, too. Um, Another person who really, really helped me is um, she's a a Jewish woman named Kathy Heller, C-A-T-H-Y. And she wrote a book called Don't Keep Your Day Job. She also had a podcast called Don't Keep Your Day Job. And she specifically is about helping creatives figure out how they can use whatever their creative passion is to, to be a light in whatever way they can. Wow. Okay. I'm going to check out all these people. I don't know any of them, but I, <laughs> I appreciate that. I also, uh, I just I want to sort of in solidarity say that this whole podcast actually was born in Corona. And I think that, you know, like we have, oh, we go through many difficult times in our life. And sometimes at the the birthplace of, of some of our most creative spaces are, are Dafka in, in those, in those straits. Right. So I, I was at home and we were in such a complicated stage of life that Corona sort of like sort of added itself onto in, in my personal family. And, 
And my husband was like, I don't know. I just feel like you should do a podcast. And and he's like, well, maybe you speak to Matan. And and, and it was it was this whole thing. And it ended up happening wow. in the first episodes I recorded with like this dilapidated machine that I borrowed from someone who like came out and wouldn't touch me because it was Corona, you know, and 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 it was in like oh, a tiny little goodness, room, you know, right. and, and I think that. Uh, again, this isn't like, you know, a nationally syndicated podcast, but I, it's like this great, this great lesson, you know, that, that sometimes, I mean, Corona as one example, obviously a tremendous amount of terrible things came from it, but I think that, that it also, it also reminded us that the other mediums that we exist on, not, and not social media in a, in a superficial way, but meaning social media, other mediums, uh, that we, you know, podcast listening. I mean, I've said, I think at other times, I don't know on this podcast, maybe I say it to my students, but to me, some of these mediums, they just remind us like how powerful all of our senses are and that we have got, we got used to for a while learning through, through a certain particular kind of way. And, and, you know, as a world, we're sort of awakening to the many different ways that, that we can like learn and grow. So I think that I, I relate to that of, you know, Corona sort of pushing us to do things that maybe we didn't have enough gumption to do before. I think that was one of, one right. of the good things. One of my teachers actually who lives in Israel, Mrs. Batya Gallant, um, taught me this idea that creativity comes from narrow straits. And if you think about, you have this wide river and if for some reason the banks come closer together, the water will rush through and even if you just think of birth, let's yeah. say, which is mm -hmm. such a like a creation just through the narrow birth canal. And sometimes people will say, how can I have Kavana when I'm saying the same Amida prayer three times a day, let's say, or, or once a day? It's so monotonous. But when we are when we are limited, that's when the creativity can really flow. So either if that's, you know, what's happening in the world, let's say like what you know like what you're saying that's when creativity can really flourish or in our own daily practices when we're doing something that feels dry if we can think about ways to let the creativity flow that's something that i think about all the time yeah i love that and i feel like right now in israel there's there's a lot of dryness going on there's a lot of things going on but maybe maybe out of the pressure cooker that has become a lot of our lives, maybe something, some things will come out of it that, I mean, obviously many good things have come out already, but hopefully we'll be able to, uh, yeah, we'll, our, while we'll be pushed to our maximum against our will, maybe we'll be able to bring some good things out of that. I want to thank you for this conversation. Mamash, thanks for meeting with me. And I encourage everybody to check out uh, your website, That Jewish Moment, and you could be in touch with Sari. She's totally available. You can email her. You have ideas. You have programs you want her to create. Really, choose your woman. Thanks so much. Thank you, Chazak. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One, -on -one, Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Please do one-on-one -on -one and women's Torah learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Matan's website. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review in the comments. Please send us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.